0: Welcome to Page It to the Limit, a podcast where we explore what it takes to run software in production successfully. We cover leading practices used in the software industry to improve both system reliability and the lives of the people supporting those systems. I'm your host, Mandy Walls, find me at LNXCHK on Twitter. Welcome back to Pages to the Limit. I'm Mandy Walls. I'm back with J. Paul Reed. It's been a few years since you've been on the show with us. So welcome back. What are you doing these days, man? After Netflix
1: did a bunch of consulting, I went back to consulting, actually. Folks remember I was doing that before Netflix. And then at Netflix, they were like, we would like you to do that full time. But for us... Um, and so I'm doing that again after a, a bit of a break. I, if I, I don't know, if folks know this. I was on the core team at Netflix, which the, the way we describe that is uh, it was the team that holds the pager for Netflix. And I was on it when right when the pandemic started and through the pandemic. And so that was a very wild ride. It was fun. I really enjoyed working with all of my teammates through that period. But as you can imagine, in those first couple months, we were all on that couch with popcorn watching Netflix. And it's weird, you know, our team got calls from the Italian government at the time saying, you're using too much bandwidth, please use less. You know, we were involved a little bit, that was more sort of the networking team and the CDN team fixing that. But my point is, the pandemic brought a bunch of these weird problems that like, you wouldn't think it's like, the hospitals need the internet. Show the little slightly degraded video version of that so we can. Right. You
0: don't need the, the high def version of uh, Tiger King or whatever yes, for everybody yes. who's sitting
1: at home. Yeah, the tigers look real enough.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, anyway, you put out a, a series of articles which went around in our internal slack of PagerDuty about sort of the last frontier of incidents. like, you have an incident, you know what happened, you have the post incident review. And then the dark cloud descends on the team because there's action items.
1: Yeah, they're the other AI that is scary.
0: The other AI, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the other AI. The AI is that will never get done. Yeah. So we wanted to talk about that today, like, because you put put this three part series out, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's that's so true. That's so true, because we see this all the time. It, you go through the motions of action items, and you come out the other end with this list of things to do, and then it like disappears into the wind.
1: Right, 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 right. So this series of posts is really funny. It turned out to be a series of posts, but originally the idea was just like, I'm going to write a post about this idea of a spectrum, right? But then as I was starting to write, it's like, okay, well, to set it up, You need to sort of make the complete sort of argument. And so the first post is really about kind of a spectrum, but it has this idea of benefit into it, right? Because, and so it looks very much like a, a, you know, consultant. Again, I was doing consulting, it's the consultant quadrant, right? So, you know, you have this idea that on the horizontal, this idea of cost. So you've got low cost, high cost. And then on the other axis, you've got benefit low benefit, high benefit. And so then I kind of looked at the corners of the quadrant, the the extremes, right? Because it's somewhat intuitive that a low cost, low benefit might get done, but probably won't. Unless someone's really excited about it, it's probably not going to get done prioritized well well, and actually those sorts of action items i kind of block like they're the aesthetic ones so they're like you know some engineer is a pythonista or a go person and they're like somebody wrote some go code and they're not a go person a gopher i guess they call those folks but you know maybe somebody wrote some go that you know is an older version and there's a new style and it's just bugging them right like it's it's logically correct but the aesthetic is bad right so that's like that's low cost ish to fix um. Although I'm sure people have like fixed stuff like that and caused an incident too. And it's also low benefit, right? So those, there's that cluster. Then of course, on the other end of that spectrum, uh, and these posts, by the way, I'm sure you'll link to them. They have, uh, I drew them on my iPad. I had nice little pictures, right? But there's the high cost and low benefit. And those are like, obviously action items, just no one ever, like no one will get s- sanctioned to do, right? And then, you know, as we sort of progress through uh, what I basically did is, Again, this idea came from originally just a spectrum, but then you kind of have to go backwards to sort of understand, well, like what are the aspects of the spectrum? So the second post really talks about taking this aspect of benefit out. And the reason I think that's important is if you read that first post or you're talking about it with your colleagues, like benefit is doing a, hot, a lot of heavy lifting. In doing that a event.
0: lot of lifting yeah. for cr- all kinds of things. Yes. Right. And and I always
1: laugh because we have all, in a post-incident review, had conversations about, is this going to be high benefit? Is it low benefit? Right. And, the, you know, you and I were laughing a little earlier about data-driven. And so like, well, then people try to go get data around benefit, but like, does benefit mean, will it get us more customers? Can we prove that it will cause less incidents? Like that's can be weird, right? So I wanted to take out this concept, like just remove it. And in the safety sciences, I, I referred to Sidney Decker's quote about nobody goes to work to do a bad job. Although there's another post I might make at some point where, well, it, not that people go to work to do a bad job, but I think there's maybe nuance now about, you know, we're all kind of tired and burned out. We may go to work and accidentally not do our best job because we're a lot of us are burned out these days and
0: yeah you can go and do an ambivalent job but maybe they're yes. not hostile so right right. right it's
1: not malicious right and so back to the benefit conversation that's a great example of where most engineers i know don't suggest things that they don't think are beneficial even in that aesthetic example to them they want a clean code base and they think that that has a benefit I think personally, I think that has a benefit. Right. And then you can have an argument with your or a debate with your engineering manager or, you know, whether or not things like aesthetics are important in the code base. Right. But the point is, is that they're suggesting these action items in good faith. Right. Yes.
0: To their lens of things that are going to be beneficial. Like it's totally understandable. They're going to have a narrower view of the things that they're thinking about than right. someone else wants.
1: Right. And so, you know, I, I didn't really kind of go down this road in the post, but I actually think one of the things that is always a, like a good discussion to have when we talk about benefit is to actually explicitly call out what we think the benefit is and who it's serving Because a lot of times, and I'm sure you you've talked a lot about this in post incident reviews, it's like we often don't have like customer support people. We don't have salespeople or write their perspectives. And they may have been impacted by an incident, but you know, they seldom get to come in and talk about what the action items might be. So we're talking about benefits, like connecting that, like what constituent group does it benefit? Like that can be a good, like explicit conversation to have. But then the question or the discussion was, well, if we remove this concept of benefit, and then also we talk about, we kind of tweak that x-axis. So instead of going from low cost on one end to high cost on the other, we start talking about probabilities of whether that action item will get done. That becomes a little bit of a more interesting spectrum. And so the, the fundamental kind of thesis of the spectrum is the ends. Are important to look at, and they're interesting to look at. So let's look at those, right? We've got the low cost items that probably have a high probability of completion, and we've all seen those. Those are the ones that that are done by the time we get to the uh, post incident review, right? We listed up, and and somebody times already did those first three because they're so beneficial. They're so low cost in the context of what we're talking about. They're just already
0: done. Well, and especially if it if the incident was caused by an escape defect. Like, you're going to go back and fix that defect anyway, because you want to move the feature forward. Right. Often that work gets done before we get around to the incident review, because it has to go out anyhow.
1: Right. Well, and actually, no, I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up, because the real version of those particular action items are action items that you actually do during the incident. Right. Like, what's so funny is we don't tend to think of those as action items. Right. Which is just, that's just an interesting commentary on how engineers think of like, there's an incident, and then the incident ends, it ends... And then, you know, there's other stuff we do. And it's like, well, yeah, but those were action items before too. Like
0: that was all kicked off because you had the incident. Like it's all downstream of that incident activity.
1: Right. Yeah. hundred percent. So you've got those. um, And I, and in the little graph that I do, it's like the, the it's already done right thing. Yeah. We already did that. And then we've, on the other side, we've got the, you know, it's never, ever, ever going to get done. And I'll give a couple of examples. Uh, I really like the, one of the stories that I actually describe in the post. But look, the, it's never getting done would be like, we have a complete Windows infrastructure and Windows code base. And someone's like, let's rewrite it in Linux.
0: Wait, what, now there's a problem if it was in Linux. Yeah, yeah, yeah
1: right. right. Exactly.
0: Because it'd be like,
1: yeah, that's nice. Thank you for that suggestion. N- next, right? The other example that I actually gave, and again, I, I love this story. It was an outage that cost hundreds of millions of dollars. It was in the news. I worked on it. It was an incident that took, like, weeks. So the the actual outage, I think, was across two or three days. So it was pretty long as as incidents go. But then sort of the follow-up took probably a quarter, maybe. And long story short, it was a set of settings at a very low infrastructure. It was in the bias of various machines. And when they had deployed this data center years and years and years ago they didn't kind of have a standard for setting those settings so this bit them with some higher level software sitting way on top of an operating system on top of a platform and on top of that right but it's this little bias setting you know certain blocks on disk got messed up and it was unhappiness all around right and so one of the action items would be like go flip that setting on every like make sure that the setting is the same on every machine that seems reasonable right It's not too hard to do. We're talking, even if it's a thousand machines, right? And what was interesting though, is this was already in the context of, they knew that there were gremlins in that data center. They were already moving people off of it. They had already incurred this cost. Like, and here's an interesting thing. They were already kind of doing the action item of moving people out of the data center before the incident happened. So that'll like fry your brain about like these action items that we're doing before an incident happens, right? but in that case too this incident would give more credence of like yes we should actually do that action item but in this case what they actually said is well we could do that it's a reasonable amount of work and i'm betting cuz i thought this too a lot of folks and a lot of management folks are probably thinking yeah but you know what if actually standardizing on that setting causes more problems right yeah since you don't know yeah, yeah and cuz it's been that way for a decade like Who knows what's also relying on it actually being set that way, which for this one problem was wrong, but maybe correct for, you know, some other thing or something's relying on that setting being that way. So they basically doubled down on the migrations of moving people and infrastructure out of that data center, but they didn't go and fix that item. So that's an example of it ain't ever getting done because, and that's also an example of a nuanced conversation. And that was really the point that I think is relevant to talk about. And as a consultant and working on operations teams that do post incident reviews, to me, looking at the meta discussion of the middle of that spectrum. So it's where the really rich, if you just watch engineers having that discussion, again, you've taken out benefit. If you kind of like move away from that and just start talking about the realities of what do you actually think the probability is that the action item you've described will get completed and will actually get sanctioned to get funded to get completed, right? And all of that. I call that the discretionary space and I stole that from Rasmussen's triangle and, and there are links in the post you can read about Rasmussen's triangle, but the discretionary space, you know, refers to this, this dynamic where we get to see expertise in action of engineers, uh, expertise in action and on the business side of their own determination of the risk they're willing to take from a business perspective. We get to see organizational power dynamics. We have all been in an incident review where someone sometimes out of kind of left field comes in and says, we ain't doing that. And everybody's like surprised, but it's the VP of engineering. And maybe they have some bit of information like that product's going to be decommissioned in a month. And that was sort of the point when I sort of thought up this spectrum and was trying to explain the, the idea of action items. The part that I find most interesting when I'm doing that work, but I think that is actually really valuable for not only engineers, but organizations, is that Meta sort of observation about the discussions of what is going to get funded and what isn't. And then once you have a good sense of that, because I guarantee you, we were talking about Meta earlier, Meta's appetite for certain types of risk is way different than Google's. It's way different than Twitter. I'm not calling it that letter. Twitter yeah, and it's way different, right, than a startup versus, you know, a, a huge company, right? And so when you can get some insight from those discussions, I think it's a great tool to almost help advocate for items that you may know just from previous experience won't get funded, but that you think are really important. It helps you actually have a more nuanced conversation. One of the things that I've done um, with Teams, it's one of my favorite exercises to do, actually, is we post all the action items. And I talk about this in the post a little bit. So let's say we have 10 action items. I'll ask engineers, bucket the 10 into it's already done. Maybe we're not sure and it will never get done. But I have them do that all individually. Then I take the pieces of paper and then I see which items get put in which buckets. And I talk about this in the post. If you then go back a quarter later, or maybe you can go anywhere from a sprint or two later to like a quarter later, you then look who was right about which items didn't get done at all. And that's a feedback loop for engineers and managers when they're looking at future incidents. You know, what was the appetite or the capacity of the organization to even do fix items, right? Sometimes it's not about the benefit and the aesthetics. It's, it's about we've got a new product coming out. We actually wanted to do all of those in the discretionary space, but something came along or, you know, you've been there, another incident comes along and then those items are like, Okay. well,
0: (laughs) everything gets superseded by this more immediate problem because everybody's got recency bias on it. So they forgot they had this whole other list of things they were going to do.
1: Yeah. And so one of the other things I sort of bring up is Jay Bloom's work on time spans of discretion, which I think is super interesting from the standpoint of this all goes into the story that we tell about the incident. And I was laughing, you know, earlier when we were talking about. You know, action items that you do before the incident, right? Or action items that you do as part of the remediation during the incident. That all becomes part of the story that we tell. And so the reason that's relevant here is for those action items, as we move over to higher cost and lower probability of completion, one of the things we've all seen is that action item was in response to an incident, but now it's, it becomes its own project. And sometimes, It becomes its own project because people want to kill it. And they know if it's another project and it gets encompassed. Like the story is, oh, that's not a remediation item for an incident. It's a Q4 project, right? Then that's, uh, it's like, right, Q4, that's where projects go to die, right? It can also be, that's the only way it's going to get funded with time and engineering effort is if it becomes a project. But I think, you know, this all goes back to when we're talking about incidents, there's this idea that the story of the incident is actually way more valuable to an organization and to organizational learning. Then it goes back to, well, what are the stories that we tell about how we handle incidents? What are the stories we tell about action items and the way we reason about action items? And here comes the interesting part. What are the stories that we tell versus what actually happens?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because like you mentioned before, the boundary will be before the action items even get kicked off, the real post-incident action items. Their mental picture of that incident stops when the customer experience is restored. And right. to them, that's the end of that story. When really you're probably dragging out what it really means to conclude that incident for several sprints, for several months, however long these action items take to get put together.
1: And I love that I got to make a Sopranos reference. It's one of my, my favorite shows. And I'm due to go rewatch it. Because by the way, now it's so funny. It's What was that show? It was like late 90s, early aughts. Like, it also has, like, the early aughts kitsch to it, too, in addition to, like, it's a show about a mobster going to a therapist, which all of my Gen Z friends are like, what, that was a five-season show? And I was like, yeah, it was really good.
0: Right? That wasn't just, like, an after-school special? What are you talking right? about? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Back to this idea of stories. One of the things that I I've showed of Jabes was he had a really interesting insight where executives come in, and we've all had this, they come into an incident, and they may you know, try to take over or they may want information or whatever. There are issues with that, but it's from an apathetic standpoint, you can also understand they want information, right? But the interesting thing about that, that he was talking about is the reason a lot of those conversations kind of go off the rails or they're hard to have is because executives are generally telling each other stories about the organization that are on the time span of three to five years. So When they come into a situation where the time span is actually could be minutes. Are we rebuilding the database? Are we doing this? Who's rebooting the servers? Whatever it is, right? That's a super short time span. And so the problem is that because they're so used to telling organizational stories that are about three year time spans, you know, it's not that anyone in those, the, that conversation is stupid or whatever. It's that my frame of reference for the time span I normally think about is years, not minutes or sprints right after this. So the reason that's relevant. And the tie-in with The Sopranos is if you watch The Sopranos, the last scene. Did you did you watch The Sopranos?
0: I didn't watch it, yeah. I didn't have HBO, so i like, never going to okay, it. Okay,
1: so the last scene is widely considered kind of one of the most controversial scenes ever. Because it's this whole story about this mobster, a bunch of people k- killed over the series, right? A bunch of his friends do all this, right? And the last scene is him eating in a diner with his family. And it just goes to black. And they kind of do this thing where there are people coming into the diner and you're like, oh, he's going to get whacked. They just sit down and the creator was like, I want, like this show started with him going to a therapist. I want the viewer to imagine what happens. Like, I'm not going to tell them what happens. Right. So the point is, is even though the end of that story can be unsatisfying, it's kind of like, well, right.
0: What's the redemption? Did he get whacked? What happened?
1: Exactly. Exactly. We do this with incidents, right? Because the longer the incident is open, the story is ongoing because of these action items reason that stuff gets pushed to projects is because the organization has to close the story. Like Executives want that incident story to be done. And so a lot of that discussion about action items is actually informed by an organizational need to be done with that an incident. It can be a painful story.
0: Yeah, because some stuff will just, like you say, like it never gets done. It never gets prioritized. It never gets closed. Some of that will depend on, like you say, the, the strategic view of the company looking out years rather than the things that are going to impact everyone in the short term. Other stuff is going to never get done because it impacts people that are deprioritized, don't have any power in the organization, are not in the top 10 folks that people think about when they're making their priorities. Well,
1: and, and I talked a little bit about that. You know, if you start to plot this stuff actually out on a spectrum, like if you take those little pieces of paper from the engineers and kind of plot out the action items of where they thought it was going to sit on this spectrum. One of the things, and again, I've done this too with teams, you can start to see hotspots. If all of the action items related to the database magically get pushed into that kind of high cost and never get done, and they get turned into projects that never get funded and never get completed, you can start to ask questions about, well, is that team underwater? Does the team need help? Why Like, why are the action items that we think are important not getting completed? Or it can be a technology problem, right? You know, that thing's in cobalt and nobody wants to touch it. And every time we touch it, it creaks a little bit. And we so we just kind of shy away from it, right? So the thing is, 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 it's also can be a really interesting tool to understand risk before that next incident occurs. Because it's basically well, where the metaphor being like, I know my car is making this squeaky noise, but if I just kind of turn the music up loud enough, maybe I won't hear it. I don't have to it. hear it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. It's like, well, no, there's actually a problem with your car. And you it's need gonna... a belt,
0: man. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Again, the series of posts was really some thoughts that I had had. And here's the funny thing. This was really just explicating thoughts. I think a lot of us have about like our lived experience about action items. But a lot of times when we're in the trenches doing the work, it's not clear like what's really going on. And so that's. One of the things I, I always, with the teams that I'm on and then, you know, when, when I'm doing consulting, the companies I'm working with, part of that is trying to get folks to slow down, to notice the the meta conversation about these things. And the goal is like, hopefully it's better outcomes, but at least you have a more substantive conversation.
0: Yeah. I feel like some folks, they get through the incident and and especially for folks who are very... Oh, nervous or very stressed out responders, those kinds of folks. And they feel like they've lived through the incident and then they want to be just absolutely done. And the post incident review, that whole process, whatever artifacts come out of that are just completely after the fact is like not even part of their thought process. When they're done, they went to that meeting and things are done and it doesn't matter anymore. And too few organizations include, like you say, product managers. And those folks in those post-incident reviews to be able to say, this thing is obviously a problem, it's impacting our reliability, we need to work on it, it needs to get into the backlog in a, in a timely manner, rather than just engineers trying to then advocate for fixing the things that they saw during the incident.
1: Well, you said backlog in a timely manner, it needs to get into the backlog.
0: And the, yeah, just to get there, there's a ticket, is there a ticket? Right, right, right. Or again, I've seen this too,
1: right? All the action items, this is interesting, isn't it? the action items get assigned into the ink, the incident space, not the product space, right? I have seen that anti-pattern too. And so the problem with that, right, is those become disjoint stories, right? There's no feedback loop. This is one of the things I've been thinking a lot more about, and I'll, maybe I'll have more to say about it at some point, but we've talked a lot about stories. I really like that you brought up responders that maybe don't like being on call, right? So when they get page, it's like, just get done with it. Again, they want to be done with the story. One of the things that, that I talk about is there is a like, we can only follow so many stories. There's a cognitive load to having an open story out there. So I get it, right? But then the conversations becomes, well, do we want short, easily digestible stories? Or do we want actually stories that encompass what we actually need to do as an organization, whether that be, you know, give a team support that needs it because they're underwater or refactor something that we know keeps failing, that car, get the belt changed, right?
0: Yeah, I think a lot of what folks like stumble over too is when we're talking about incidents and reliability and even the metadata of like MTTA, MTTR, those kinds of things, like we try and make them feel and sound important to executives by focusing on lost revenue, lost brand value, lost reputation, and all of these kinds of things that are almost not visible to the engineers in the day-to-day. It's like a Plato's cave thing going on with with that stuff. You see the shadows of them in your day-to-day life, but you don't necessarily see those impacts unless you're really following stock price and crazy things like that that might be like a way they bubble up. I feel like we shortchange ourselves on that too, like trying to focus everything that way where every incident is going to lose money and everything that we're doing is going to be a negative impact that way. So
1: what's interesting, if you think about this idea of stories... There are archetypes of stories, right? You know, so like, you know, rom-com, boy meets girl, boy meets boy, girl meets girl, whatever. There's the the Bildungsroman, right? The hero's journey, right? And so there are archetypes of incidents, too. And, and the one you're talking about, like, that's a component of incident stories is they all lost money. What's interesting to me about that is that's not always true. And I see that this is a really big debate. Can you measure the cost of incidents, Right. And what's funny to me is um, I've worked with security teams that have tried to do that. And they even create a dashboard. You can put it in security incident number in a in big type. It's like, that cost us $100,000. And w- when you start digging into it, you know, what is it? The points are double and all made up and, uh, you know. Exactly. Yeah, it's all So Right, right. So you look at that and, and this is one of those things. Numbers are easy to put on graphs and then you can look at trends, right? But those heuristics are always kind of weird, right? It's like they're counting the time of the people that worked on it, and they're maybe counting missed transactions and average sales. So you can like do, well, we missed a thousand transactions, the average, it, right? But it's all like kind of a crapshoot, right?
0: It's back of the envelope at best. Right, I just right. Don't know. But
1: I always like to tell a story that and this this is a Netflix story where they had an incident that made them money. So when people are like, oh, it always loses money. And and then, oh, but in all of their formulas, it's all a cost. There's no like. It's all cost. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so here's here's what happened. And this, by the way, was before my time, but it's a story that I've heard multiple times from multiple people. And I can't remember what show had launched, but it was one of their Netflix originals, one of their first ones. And it was a mm, it was a big okay. deal, right? And they still do this, like the shows go live at midnight, you know, Yeah, and so yeah. people stay up and watch them and binge them. So that happened, and of course, so, something in the infrastructure wobbled and, and it caused a lot of problems. So what was interesting though is that it took three or four days, but when they started looking at the stats, what they found is because the incident happened, it made it to the news that this show was so free oh, publicity. right. That was so popular it made Netflix go down for a little bit. That caused enough buzz to get a notable bump in signups. So it made that incident made the company money. And so when people are like, well, what's the cost of an incident? I was like, well, what if it's a benefit? What if it's a, you know, revenue generating incident? And people always look like, how could we have a revenue generating incident? It's like, it's happened.
0: That kind of demand stuff comes up all the time, especially like when you're talking about like everybody's trying to get tickets to Taylor Swift and all that kind of stuff. Like just the fact that it's hard to get tickets to Taylor Swift means more people want to try and get tickets. Like they make a game out of it or contest with their friends to get tickets to these concerts and stuff. And like that kind of demand versus the problems in the supply just drive everything back up. You said it
1: best. You said it's all back of the napkin math. And so it's whatever math you choose to look at. If you incorporated, well, what signups did we get or what other you know revenue generating numbers could we put into that back of the napkin? like probably the majority of incidents will be a cost. I get that. But if you're not accounting for that, maybe the cost is more marginal than we think. Who knows, right? And again, this all goes back to this is what I love about this tool and and talking about this stuff is what are the stories we tell about incidents in our organization, right? What story gains traction? What incident stories are not a story that leadership and executives want told and and again no judgment there it's just interesting right because it gives you more information about the socio-technical system you work in the organization that you work in
0: yeah the organizations are living breathing creatures on their own and they are very much made up of organic parts squishy people squishy people and the people are messy and they will do messy things yep all the time
1: i mean i will say this right that's what i mean this is why a lot of us do this stuff uh the the people keep it interesting right
0: Yeah, it's different every day, right? So if it was just logs and bits, it wouldn't be quite as interesting.
1: Yeah, I would have no one to rant and rave to about why the stupid Kubernetes is down again if it was just Kubernetes. I don't think Kubernetes cares about my opinion of it.
0: Kubernetes does not think about you at all. Why not? That's the AI feature we need.
1: Actually, that's not the AI feature we need, but it's the AI feature we deserve.
0: Well, it's the one you want. You want the empathetic Kubernetes. I just don't think we're headed in that direction. (laughs) If that's that, the server is, is sad kind of comic
1: meme. If you ever get bored with the podcast, that's our startup.
0: Yeah. Of, yeah. There of,
1: we go. That loves you back.
0: <laughs> I'm going to call it podcast. That. That's what this episode is called. Kubernetes <laughs> yeah. that loves you back. Uh, so is there any hope for folks who are frustrated by this process of like putting on this effort into post-incident reviews and documenting things and it just goes off into the ether to die?
1: Yeah. So one of the things that I would say is I've done this exercise with the spectrum, like with teams, uh, because again, that's why people kind of bring me in to look at that stuff. But you can do this on your own. Right. And I talk a bit about, you know, for the engineer, that's just like has to be an incidence, maybe likes it, maybe doesn't. I'm I'm a little bit of an adrenaline junkie, so I I don't mind it. I know folks that hate it. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, But I think one of the things that I optimized out on purpose was this idea of benefit. But in reality, we all have to advocate for the action and explain the benefit, right? Again, that's a that's a story. And we live in a certain economic system that values certain things. And so we're going to be more successful if we understand how to tell the thing we're advocating for in terms of things that make sense in that story. So the point is, you can actually take these action items and do this yourself and then start to understand every time I suggest an action item, it ends up not happening but then you can start like, okay, well, why is that? Is it, yeah. is it because it is part of the database? Is it because it's a team that's underwater and they just don't have the resources for it, even though I think it's important as an engineer. And then you can start to have, well, you can start to understand how to advocate for those particular action items that you actually think are important or understand like why certain action items just don't get done. And again, I think that understanding, you know, I, I know you and I when when we were talking a lot about DevOps and we always used to talk about you have to understand the business. Yeah. Right. That's a core component of it. And and this very much is understanding that sort of under the surface, how do business decisions get made within an organization? Again, it's very different. So this is a, a tool and, and hopefully a toolbox for engineers who again. You know, great engineers are, they're coding, they're responding to incidents, doing all that stuff, and they may not have huge insight into what the business is doing. This is a tool to start poking, to understand what's going on under the surface so that you can be more successful in the organization again, in which you're working.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Start to move from tactics to strategy a little bit. I think that would be an, an interesting thing to kind of do. If you are an engineer and you have a significant number of incidents, any particular quarter, take all your action items, do yourself a little inventory and see what got done and, and what didn't out of all the things that you were involved in. I think that'd be super interesting for a lot of teams. Yes.
1: I a hundred percent. And also track which items got changed into something else. Yes. The, yeah. The story got changed into, Oh, that's not a remediation item. That's a project project. Right?
0: Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, this is super neat. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sir, thank you so much. Do you have any parting thoughts for our, our listeners? Encouraging words
1: yeah, just hang in there when you're coming up with them, right? A- again, doing some of the tracking that we talked about, even ba- you know, back of the napkin can give you some insight into kind of what's really going on. Awesome. And hopefully that will decrease some of the stress.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Get a little bit more of a handle on it. Yeah. Cool. Well, we'll link all the the stuff we talked about in the show notes, all of your articles and some of the links and stuff. Uh, where can folks find you? Where are you living in the social medias these days? So uh, this is so hard these days, that right? Is. So I've I, I'm, ba- I'm more
1: or less J. Paul Reed everywhere. So again, I will not call it that one letter.
0: But The artist formerly known as Twitter.
1: Yeah, the, <laughs> the social media site formerly known as Twitter, which is so funny. I see that in the newspaper now. So-and-so said on, uh, on that letter, formerly Twitter. They have to mm-hmm. call it out. Anyway, J. Paul Reed there. J. Paul Reed at mastodon.social. And then are we still doing Blue Sky? I'm trying. You- I like it. Okay. Um, I'm J Paul Reed there, but I, I don't think I've logged in. I need, maybe I, I, I'll need to make sure I'm following you.
0: Okay. Blue sky. Yes. We should put that together.
1: Awesome. Oh, uh, That one will always work. There you go. There you go. And that links to everything.
0: Fantastic. Well, sir, thank you so much for joining us again. This has been super fun. Thank
1: you for having me. It's always great to chat with you. Awesome.
0: And for everyone else out there, we'll wish you an uneventful day and we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode. Thanks that does it for another installment of page it to the limit. We'd like to thank our sponsor pager duty for making this podcast possible. Remember to subscribe to this podcast if you like what you've heard. You can find our show notes at page and you can reach us on Twitter at page it to the limit using the number two. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember, uneventful days are beautiful days.